Hey, DJ Flook here from Stadium Scenes Main Event. Networking has become more important than ever, so why are you still carrying around paper business cards that end up lost or in the trash? Our friends at Link have created a solution to that problem by getting your contact info directly into that person's phone with a simple tap from your plastic business card, a bracelet, or even an Apple Watch band. When it's time to update your contact info, make the change in their easy-to-use networking app. For listeners of Stadium Scenes Made Event, you can save 15% by typing in promo code StadiumScene, that's all one word, at checkout. To learn more, visit linkapp.com. That's L I N Q A P P.com. There's a lot of people in the sports world nowadays athletes, media personalities, bloggers, podcasters, video producers, influencers all with amazing stories to share about how they got to where they are today and where they're going tomorrow. I'm DJ Fluke, and along with my partners, Kate Thompson. I'm sorry, I didn't go to a college that has football teams, so sometimes I space out. And Jillian Fisher. Hey! Oh my gosh, I alerted my pug, and he's like, oh no, don't bark, please don't bark. We're here to share those stories in something we like to call StadiumScene.tv's main event. Hey, before we get started, this episode was also recorded as a video, which is available on YouTube via the description of this podcast episode. Otherwise, enjoy the show. All right, welcome. This is actually a different episode, not a, a 10 minutes with. We've had a, a nice long streak for several months of, of our 10 minutes with. This is our first full show that we've done in quite a while now. Uh, we want to introduce to you currently uh, a correspondent for, the, for ABC News and the Washington Bureau. You've seen him on ABC World News Tonight, Good Morning America, and probably on your local ABC News affiliate at one point. So please welcome Andrew Dimbert. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks for coming on. Uh, just real quick, you know, we we stumbled across each other probably three or four years ago while you were out working in Portland. I think you were covering a Portland Timbers match, and and this is you know, we we followed your account, watched you kind of progress, which we'll we'll get into. And I finally like, you know what? I'm going to ask him to come on the show. So I really uh, really appreciate you uh, uh, um, joining us today. Yeah, awesome. I love you guys, Page too, and I've, I've followed some of your work as well. So. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Finally, connect. The uh, it's funny too because you know my my wife and I we watched the our local ABC news affiliate here in Phoenix, and while we were trying to coordinate this and get this arranged, well, you know they'll they'll show a story that you were reporting on, and I'm like, I gotta talk to Andrew. And my wife just like looks out like, what? What are you talking about? <laughs> but I get that look a lot. So it's uh, yeah. <laughs> As Kate is sitting over there, like yeah, so yeah. Yeah, we do that a lot with you, don't we? Yes, we, we do. do a lot of weird stuff. I'm the normal one here. No, not true. <laughs> so, you know, today, you know, we we this is a little bit different of an episode. You know, Andrew is, uh, as you see, covers a lot of you know being in D.C. covers a lot of political topics. We're not a political show by any means, but you know, Andrew is coming along the way. Has covered a lot of sports uh, in, in his past previously, and this is more to talk about how. He's progressed through his career of TV journalism and, and provide those stories and, and experiences for, for you if you're looking to break into TV journalism. So let's jump right in and get started. What was the point that you decided you know, in your life that, that journalism and broadcasting was what you wanted to do with your career? 
Yeah, you know, it's kind of interesting. Um, I was always a big sports fan, so sports has always been a part of my life. And when I first got to college, I was a business major because I just thought that that's like something that you do, you know. And interestingly enough, uh, back back in the day before he was this big ESPN personality, Dan Lebetard had this local Miami radio show, this just kind of, you know, quirky radio show that nobody really knew about. But I was a big listener. I was a huge fan. And so was my brother. And ironically, they used to do this thing um, – which was like a celebrity poker tournament in South Florida before Levitard was actually a celebrity. So they just bring in all these people from Miami that weren't actually celebrities. And it was ironic. And it was this just local event that if you listen to the show, you come out, you play, it's for charity, whatever. So me and my brother, uh, we went to go play once. And I actually sat down at Dan Levitard's table and Israel Gutierrez and some mm-hmm. other now well-known right. uh, sports columnists were there. Jorge Sedano, I believe, played in it as well. It's just like all these guys who started locally. And we just started talking. And I, and I realized, like, all these guys loved what they did. And I wasn't in love with being a business major. And so I started up kind of a relationship, a digital relationship with Israel Gutierrez. And I asked him, how do you crack in? And he mentioned to me, look, just do whatever you can at school, uh, just write and see whatever you can do sports related. He's like, just get it going. And, you know, you can even send me some stuff if, if you want. And so uh, he suggested I start maybe writing for the local uh, paper there. So I did. And then I started covering women's softball. And then that turned into me covering football. And I would send him my articles and he would edit them. And then I was like, you know what, this is what I want to, I was still a business major. I was like, but this is what I want to do. So I changed majors and kind of went, kind of went from there. That's very cool. And it, it's like, it, you know, having a mentor like that is always good, but to see your mentor also progress and become famous on the national stage, I'm sure that really, you know, it probably meant a lot to you seeing him progress as he did. Definitely. Definitely. And I, I also regret, I would, I would give, and I do give this advice to young journalists too. Uh, I lost touch with, like Israel Gutierrez, for example. Um, and I don't, you know, I should have kept that relationship going uh, early on. And I had kind of a knack for doing that. Like, I, like it was almost too intimidating. Like, oh, these guys don't want to waste time on me. You know, just this teenager, like he's, they're, they're, they're bigger than that. Uh, I think at the time he was a Palm Beach Post or Miami Herald columnist, which was still like big to me, you know? Um, and I would always, I, I always tell young journalists, just make sure if you do meet somebody that is, successful and takes an interest in you, you know, make sure you just keep that relationship authentic, you know, and, and keep it going. So uh, I know that a, a few years later I had run into to Izzy actually, and I, and I remembered him and he's like, Oh yeah. He's like, that's right. He's like, what happened? You know, asking me why I didn't email him more. And <laughs> so, yeah, but it is cool to see all those guys like just move on and also to see that show just kind of explode and now be like a national TV show and all that. And back in the day, it wasn't like that. It was just this, quirky morning radio show that I happen to love. And I just realized all these guys were having fun doing what they loved. And I was, I said to myself, that that's what I want to do. Okay. I'm going to hand it over to you. So did you have any past experiences in high school that helped drive your decision to Absolutely. go? You know, no, no. And that was another regret of mine too. My, my school actually was really well known for its, in high school, you know, for its uh, morning announcements and news program. They had a, a teacher and everything, this whole setup. And I was never 
a part of any of that. And it was something else that I, you know, I wish I had gotten into early, but I guess they say, you know, better late than never. It wasn't until college where I really started to pick up whatever I could, whether it was radio, writing, or eventually uh, TV. So uh, when I, I originally went to Florida State University, but I, I dropped out for personal reasons. And when I got back into college, I decided to transfer to the University of Miami. And then when I was there, I picked up everything that I, that I could. And that included starting to do news, which I always thought I wanted to be a sports reporter. When I went to UM, I double majored in sports, uh, sport administration and broadcast journalism. But when I started to tell stories on the news side of things, just to round out, I guess, my background, I started to gravitate more towards news and less towards sports. And, you know, we didn't even mention this on the, the, the uh, start of the show, but I mean, just, just the other night, uh, you know, you put something on your Instagram page that, that you went from college dropout at one time to doing a live remote on the grounds of the White House. I mean, that's, yeah. I mean first off, congratulations. That's, that's incredible. Thank you. Uh, just to, uh, you know, see yourself, like, skipping around here, but like, what, what goes through your mind when you're standing on the grounds of the White House? Uh, don't mess up. You know, <laughs> I think that's every reporter goes through that, you know, one way or another, but, uh, you know, you, you get comfortable after doing this for a while that it, it, you hardly, I guess, get nervous anymore. I guess that's a big question. I get, or do you get nervous when you get live? Well, you do a million live shots over eight years to, you know, no, but then you're at the white house and it feels like your very first time. Um, so I just tried to focus on, uh, on the story and then later, like after everything and the dust settled and, the day was done. Then I tried to reflect personally on just kind of what, what that meant. And, and, you know, again, like I said, not, not a political show, not getting into discussions of yeah. you know, anyone's opinions on the administration. Or not, but I mean, you've been in the Oval Office. You yeah. asked a question right to the president of the United States. Like, I mean, that's, you know, the most power, arguably the most powerful person in the world. And you're less than 10 feet away asking this person a question. I mean, was it, you know, the first time you did that, like, what goes through your mind when that, that happens? Uh, so interestingly enough, the first time that uh, I was in the briefing room and I had asked a question, the president started to respond and then I interrupted him kind of just by accident. <laughs> I wanted to clarify my question and I thought, oh boy, like I just interrupted the president. Again, not to have opinions or anything like that, but just the president, who doesn't matter who the yeah, president is. It doesn't matter president, who it is. You, you, know, you, the president. <laughs> you know, interrupted him. And so I was like, I had this moment where I was like, oh boy, like he's either going to move on or lash out at me. And that, that did not happen. Um, but I, I would say the experiences that my past experiences kind of led up to that. I felt very comfortable. Like I wasn't uh, nervous or anything. And it, and it starts at that, like that local news level of, in my background, you know, you start by interviewing city council members and then maybe a mayor and then maybe a representative and then maybe a, a governor and then the next thing you know yeah like you're interviewing the president and it's no different than interviewing any of those other any of those other people and it's just kind of that comfortability that comes from from tons of reps and and just doing this for so long so what type of internships did you have um starting out internships were huge i didn't even know really it sounds ignorant but i didn't even know really what an internship was when i got to college i uh, it wasn't even on my radar. I mean, my whole thing was like, you know, uh, get the best grades you can. And then, and that's kind of ingrained in us from high school, right? Like, you you know, your GPA, your SAT score, that is not 
real life. I'll, I'll say this, when I was, when I graduated college and I was looking for jobs in this industry, not a single employer asked me what my GPA was or what classes I took. All they wanted to know what were internships and experiences that you had, because when you're graduating college, you have no real professional experience, right? I mean, chances are you don't. So what they look for is your internships and other experiences. So uh, when I was interviewing, even for jobs, you know, that I did not get, the questions were about, oh, we saw you did a news, you know, you did your, your, your station or your college news program. Tell us about that. Uh, tell us about how when you wrote for, you know, the Tallahassee Democrat back when I was at FSU, tell us about this. They never asked me about my classes or even my major, really. They wanted to know about experience within the industry. So what I would say to any college student or young aspiring journalist would be to do, to just get your hands on as much work outside of school as possible. I mean, obviously grades are important. And then, you know, there are some people who will go and get a master's degree in, in this field, which is something I, I don't have, but I would recommend as well. Uh, and that is where probably your grades matter, obviously more, but I just, I can't stress enough that it's really the experiences and the internships just in the industry uh, that, that will make or break you. And uh, one of my internships was for the Miami Hurricanes football team. It was convenient because I went to the university, you know, I was a student there, but in my capacity as an intern, you know, I was able to write stories, put together pieces, uh, you know, on camera, they had some old camera equipment that they let me do. And I would put together stories. And I, I took those stories that aired on the web, you know, the hurricane sports website. And now I had kind of a resume even though I had no real professional experience and I wasn't getting paid, I have these stories where I'm covering a, a major division one football program. So I, I, you know, I, like I said, before we, we started airing, I was, I was, you know, doing my prep snooping around and I, I noticed that you actually, one of your internships was at Fox news. Mm -hmm. And you always hear the, the stereotypical, Oh, it's, you know, printing papers, copies, coffee for people. I mean, what, what was the internship like when you go into a major news organization yeah. like that as a, a college student? So uh, at first, that's what it, that's kind of what it was at first. I've, and I interned on this late night, like 2 a.m. show that actually doesn't exist anymore. And it was more of like this satirical political show. And it was really cool because they had stand-up comedians on there and uh, like C-list actors and celebrities. And it was just this quirky, like late night news show. And at first that's kind of, that's kind of all I did, but I really wanted to take advantage of the fact that it was this small show on this major network. And it was a really small, tight uh, crew behind the scenes. And I, I realized like, Oh, there's a lot more I can do here than just and one of my, one of my uh, tasks was to fill the water for all the guests. I remember that I was like, I can do more than this, you know, like, anybody can do this. So I really just pushed to, to try to do as much as I can. You know, I, I told them that I, I had a writing background. If they would let me write a monologue or a story for, for somebody uh, and slowly, but surely they did. So I started by writing talking points for, for some of the guests and give them some background on what, what was going to be discussed. And then that kind of evolved into a little more writing. And then I also, you know, a lot of just life happens to be luck. I also kind of got lucky in that one day, like three people quit the show for various reasons. One got pregnant, one got a better job, and one was getting out of the industry. It was just totally coincidental that they all happened to be leaving at the same time. And there was this massive void that they couldn't just hire 
you know, two production assistants and a booker overnight. So they had asked me, I was really originally supposed to only intern like two or three days a week. And then the other days of the week, I was supposed to do these classes uh, for UM. And I got in touch with the school and I said, hey, they want me to work five days a week now. Is that okay? And they were like, yeah, absolutely. Go for it. And so from there, you know, now I actually became like a production assistant. Here, here I am as like this, you know, 19, 20 year old kid being a production assistant that these are like jobs that people, you know, actually get with professional experience. So I was lucky in that regard, but you have to create those opportunities for yourself as well is what I would tell people just, you know, when, when you get these internships or these entry level jobs, just say yes to every, you know, get your hands on everything. If there's something that you see like, Hey, I, I can do this. You know, raise your hand and let them know. No one's going to say, Whoa, <laughs> they hired you or they brought you on for a reason. And just, I would say just, just got to be hungry and make it and make it known. And, you know, there were a lot of late nights too that, that I worked there. Uh, there was a, a collection of interns, like 50 of us, and they were, they had the same schedule as me in the beginning that they would only work two or three days a week. And then the other days they'd have to take a, a sort of like a class to fulfill whatever. But afterwards, you know, after five o'clock, all the interns would get together and, and hang out and, and do that sort of thing. And I, I put that on the table. I said, you know, that's not, that's not why I'm here. So while everybody else was after their, you know, after they clocked out of their internship at five o'clock and were going out for happy hours and, and enjoying New York city, uh, I stayed late every day to try to work as much as I, as much as I could on that show. And it went a really long way. Uh, somebody noticed a production assistant there remembered how, uh, how hard I worked. And when I got back to school from my senior senior year, I got a cold call from that person that said, Hey, uh, you know, there's this new local TV show that uh, the Fox affiliates are trying to get off the ground in New York city. Would you like to be a part of it? So it's like not even something that I applied for. And then, uh, if it wasn't for that, I, I'd probably just not be doing what I am today. So, so you literally, from your, your experiences, ended up parlaying that into your first job after school. Absolutely, yeah. That's yeah. incredible. And, and I, I mean, never meant to do that either. I just, honestly, I wanted to learn as much as I could, do as much as I could, and make an impression um, on the people around me, and then maybe take, you know, kind of that, that experience with me. I never in a million years thought that somebody from a, you know, an employee from a network news organization would call this college student and say, hey, do you want to be a part of something that I didn't even know Very cool. was, was an opportunity? Did you interview for anything else or was that like, I'm, this is awesome, I'm taking it, I'm going? Yeah, well, I did take that. But what's funny about that is I was actually, I had just accepted a job doing social media videos for a newspaper in Santa Monica, the Santa Monica Mirror, and I had it in informed them that I was taking this job. So I had my bags packed. I thought I was moving across the country. I'm, I'm from Florida. So I thought I was moving to Santa Monica. And then that call came in and that was more something I wanted to do. Uh, also, you know, that, that, that show, uh, which doesn't exist anymore, by the way, uh, it aired in New York city and Philadelphia. So like coming out of college, I, I can't say no to something like that. And they, they understood. And I actually kept a, a good relationship with some of the people who, did hire me at the Santa Monica mirror and we still talk today and they were really understanding that like, yeah, you, you got to take, you got to take that opportunity. But uh, also sprinkled into there were a million rejection letters. My college roommates at the time used to laugh because uh, believe it or not, it's like 2011, 2012. Um, some of my rejection letters came in the form of 
actual letters like in the mail. So they would laugh, <laughs> you know, when they'd see like these TV station uh, letters, like here's another rejection, you know, here's another rejection letter. And I'm guessing they wouldn't send a physical letter to invite you to an interview. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> so um, get the letterhead from, you know, blah, blah, blah. You yep. know, you know, I mean, blah. most were in emails, but I do remember getting at least one from like this really small town in Iowa that was like a <laughs> market. And I think it was like market like 180 or something like that. And, um, you know, they passed. <laughs> okay. Kate, did you ever get rejected from a job by, uh, by letter? No, but my favorite was an advertisement to buy their product. And, then oh, it, and it said, oh, by the way, never mind. We're, we don't want you. I'm like, that sucks. <laughs> I've known you now almost a decade, and I've, you've never told me that before. <laughs> well, it's not like I walk around talking about jobs I was rejected from. <laughs> so my, my most embarrassing moment applying for a job, um, I spelled the company's name wrong in my uh, my letter wow. that I sent with my resume. <laughs> I went back and looked at it. I was like, oh, I spelled the company's name wrong. Well, they're not going to be calling me. <laughs> it's fine. I, I had sent out so many applications once that I know that I made the mistake of calling one station the wrong station and getting it confused with other applications. So. I mean, when you're going through like monster.com and career builder and all yeah, that, yeah. you're just pounding through these things and it's like, yeah. okay, you know, change a sentence, change the header, Oops, I spelled that company's name wrong. And it was some obscure name. It was like some Spanish company. And, you know, it was, eh, it is what it is. So, so you started with Fox. Where did you go from there? Um, from there, uh, I kind of had a, I thought like my, I actually thought my career was over before it ever really started. Uh, after that, I had no plan. Um, I had left the show just because uh, it really wasn't for me. Um, and then I just took as many freelance jobs as possible. I kind of got back into sports a little bit. I worked for Sportsnet New York as a freelance editor. And Sportsnet New York, SNY, is like this regional New York uh, station, a sports station that airs like Met, they aired Met games, for example. So like my main job was to edit Met, Met's highlights. And uh, I remember just, and I love sports, but I just remember thinking like, oh man, like, I, I gotta get, I gotta get out of here. Like I gotta do something. I need to, you know, I didn't, I didn't, I really still wanted to be a reporter and a correspondent. And, um, you know, I was really just editing and taking whatever I could just really to pay bills and stay afloat and like build some kind of background. And then once again, uh, somebody reached out to me from that first job I had, they ended up leaving as well. And they went to a startup production company and said, hey, um, you know, do you want to be a part of this? And I think, I think you'd, you'd be a great fit. And that was the best decision and best call I ever got because not only was it for an on-air an on position, yet the stories were aired online and maybe they didn't get a ton of views, but still it was like exposure and I was getting help from like some of the industry's best who had started this startup company. They got out of news and started a, a production company and uh, from there, I was really able to finally do on-air stories every single day. I was doing three stories a day, and they are terrible when I look back at them. I mean, they're real bad. I don't even think I combed my hair for, for any of them, but I learned a ton, and then I was able to, you know, kind of figure out, okay, like, this was, this was more like hosting than it was reporting, 
and I really wanted to do reporting. And then there were people there that had reporting backgrounds and they helped me get in touch with uh, some local news stations in New York, which was uh, News 12, which is like this regional local news station that covers all the outer boroughs instead of Manhattan. So there's like Queens, uh, there's Queens, Bronx, Brooklyn, New Jersey. And I was able to work there. And then from there, I just, that's where I finally got some stability in my career. So I was doing that as local news. And then from there just built and I didn't have any uh, issues where I was freelancing or picking up all these odd jobs anymore. So then, you know, you, you've been hanging around the New York area. What, what drove you to go to Portland? Yeah. So uh, I really, I really liked reporting at News 12 and it was one of the best experiences I ever had. And I was really, you know, first of all, you're reporting in New York City and people who watch News 12 watch it because you're covering their borough and you're really hyper specific, like you're really covering. So my, my area of coverage was Brooklyn and the Bronx. And a lot of people in the Bronx and Brooklyn feel like the big stations there neglect them unless it's some big crime story where we are always pushing stories for those communities. So it's really nice because people actually, I mean, News 12 viewers are very loyal and they watch it because they are from these areas and this is what they want. They want to know what's going on in their neighborhood. They really don't care what's happening in New Jersey or the Upper West Side. They want to know what's happening in, in Brooklyn, in, uh, in the Bronx. And um, I was doing a lot of, this is the first time actually I was really going live. Everything else I had done was taped up until that point. So I was really getting the experience of doing live shots. And then from there, I, I wanted more of an opportunity to enterprise stories and really kind of get more of an investigative and enterprise story background where I'm finding stories and pitching stories. And this opportunity came up in Portland and I thought, you know what, that's out of my comfort zone too. And um, I didn't think that I would actually take the job, but after I did the interview and I met everybody there in the station uh, and they informed me like what the role would be, uh, which was still reporting, but it was also crafting your own stories and not only doing breaking news. Uh, I thought to myself, like that would give me a more well-rounded background and, and do something different than what I was, than what I was doing at News 12. That's like I said at the beginning of the show, that's about the time we, we stumbled upon you. You were covering the, uh, a, a Portland yeah. match, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I mean, uh, since Portland, game their franchise i mean that's they've always been a you know for the most part they've been always a, a top tier mls club i mean were you i can't remember now were they no they didn't win the mls that's one so when i got there they had just won okay um it was, so it was the year after so it was like 20 i think they won in 2015 i was there in 2016 and i mean it's it's a very very loyal fan base out there. i couldn't believe it i mean i'm a soccer fan but not really so much. I wasn't really so much an MLS fan and I could not believe that this existed. I was fortunate enough when I was at news 12, New York city FC had just, had just started was their, their inaugural year. And I got to cover their opening, their opening match. And that was really awesome because I saw like this buzz in the Bronx that I could not, I thought I was going to game seven of a Yankees world series game, uh, how many fans were out. But even then, I, I, I kind of figured like, oh, this, this might taper off. I mean, this is just the initial excitement of a new franchise. And in Portland, it's like that every match. I couldn't believe it. I mean, even in their general assignment uh, like, or general admission seating, people wait outside for hours. And depending on the match, they'll camp outside. 
and now I think they're expanding the stadium as well. Uh, I mean, if, if only, even if just a fraction of MLS franchises could have that kind of fan base and that sort of devotion, I mean, it's everywhere. People in Portland love the Timbers. I mean, it's everywhere. And it was really cool to, to, to see that and firsthand and be a part of that and like, tell my friends, you know, no, listen, this is a big deal. Like, you know, they're like, Oh, we don't care about, we don't care about soccer. I'm like, you know, you, you got to see this on the West coast, especially when they play in the Cascadian cup against the Sounders. I mean, it's unbelievable how, how the city comes alive. You would think again, it's like the Blazers playing in a, in a game seven in the NBA finals. It's incredible. What is the most memorable thing that you got to report on with the Timbers? So I didn't, I didn't, unfortunately, I didn't get to report too much on, on the Timbers. I did, though, get to report on, uh, from courtside, too, when the Blazers played the Golden State Warriors, um, and that was really exciting. Uh, <laughs> the Blazers got swept <laughs> in that series, but it was a much closer series than, than people realize, and that was really cool just to see from start to finish, like, how these guys – warm up and how they go through just everything from, you know, their press conferences all the way up to the game and to be on the court and see like, you know, Moda center just kind of come alive, even when the Blazers are down like 20 points, you know, was, was pretty cool. And just to watch Damian Lillard, like up close. I mean, this dude is for real. Yeah, he's, he's unbelievable. Yeah. He's in talent. I mean, it's, I went to a Blazers game about 10 years ago and, and this was still in like Greg Oden actually playing in the game I went to. He didn't play in many games, but he, he was yeah. there and, you know, we had LaMarcus Aldridge and Brandon Roy and, and it was, you know, it was a very, very good team and unfortunately yeah. injuries derailed them, but I mean. I like they always get unlucky. Yeah. And the, I mean, but the, the fan base, is just incredible out there. It's just, I, I love it. It's just, it's, it's this little, not little, but it's, it's a smaller market. Yeah. But, I mean, it's, you wouldn't know it. I mean, the, the community really gets behind their teams out there. Yeah, you wouldn't think of Portland as a sports town, but it absolutely is, especially with basketball and soccer. I mean, those, those are two biggest franchises. They also have um, a hockey team, too, the Winterhawks. I never went to a Winterhawks match, and I kind of regret that. They play, like, right next to where the Blazers play. And uh, you walk around Portland, I think they want an NHL franchise more so than a, than a baseball team, but – it really is. A, it's a great sports town. I mean, the, the, the fans there are really passionate and they really, they really show up. So, I'm going to jump in, Kate. So after Portland, you had a chance to go home and uh, back to South Florida. And, you know, we talked a little bit briefly at the beginning about your, your high school and we didn't mention this, but I mean, you, you're a graduate of, of Marjorie Stoneman Douglas, which was the, the school that had the school shooting incident. Uh, a few years ago, and, and you were there, you know, covering, were, were you there when that happened, or, were you, yes. or was it just the aftermath? Yeah, it was, uh, I had only been on that, jo- I had only accepted the job for uh, my, like, hometown station that my family grew, grew up watching. It was, like, really a dream opportunity for me, and about a month in is when the, uh, the shooting happened, and uh, yeah, I had to go to the I had to go to my high school and, and report on it. And it was, it was really difficult. I mean, those were, those were difficult times because not only was, uh, you know, not only was I reporting in areas where I used to walk to school, ride my bike and, 
you know, now you have kids running out of the school and police everywhere. I mean, I could just, you know, as a reporter, you report on these things from time to time and it's really unfortunate, but you're always doing it, you know, in areas maybe you're not from. And, you know, this story didn't just hit close to home. This time it was home and it, it was really challenging and difficult. But I will say that in the aftermath, what those kids did and what that community did to come together and, you know, push for change in the way they did made me really proud. And it's just like, that's, you know, that is my hometown. And that is now when, when you talk about Marjorie Stoneman Douglas, that's, that's what comes up first is how these kids were able to do the March for Our Lives, which I got to go with them from Coral Springs to Washington, D.C. and just see all of this. And, and that march on Congress, um, you know, was, was, was really incredible. But I'm not going to lie. I mean, that was the most challenging day of my career. And I don't think that uh, anything will ever come close to that again. And can, can imagine. Um, I, I'm taking a lighter note, uh, a famous alum of your high school. Um, I, I have to bring this up because, of, you know, the flag behind me. Of course. Is, uh, Anthony Rizzo from the Chicago yeah. Cubs. I'm get, I don't know how old you are, but I'm guessing you're probably pretty close in age. Do you we had class together. We graduated the same year. Yeah, really? we, we, took a, we took Italian class together for three years <laughs> in the same class. Did, yeah. did you, I mean, you were in the same class, but did you know him at all? Um, a little bit. Uh, I wouldn't say we were friends, but our, our groups of friends definitely cross over. Uh, some of my best friends that I still hang out with now may consider him a friend, but he was always a really nice guy too. A really smart, really bright kid. He played two sports. I actually, it's funny because, um, and maybe I just had my head in the sand. I always viewed him as a football player because I, I also played football for just a couple of years in the JV team and he was on it and his brother was the captain and uh, his brother actually went on to play at FAU, I think. Um, I always, I always viewed the Rizzo's as a football family. I knew he played baseball, but it probably wasn't until my senior year. I was like, Oh wow. Like, he's this dude is real good at baseball i mean did you when once you realized that i mean did you you know number one did you expect to ever see him number one in the major leagues yeah i think so i think uh there was a i think people realized probably right after right after high school he was drafted by the boston red sox mm -hmm. and the story goes i wasn't there for this but the story goes he had like you know a, a family celebration party with friends and stuff and I, again, this is just, I don't, I, I don't know if this is true or not, but the Red Sox, I guess, let him do batting practice at Fenway Park. So he had this video playing of him just like hitting home runs in Fenway, in an empty Fenway Park and in, in batting practice. And then just the, the rumors, you know, swirled around Coral Springs in South Florida that, oh, this, this guy is, is the real deal. And like, he, he is going to make it. And then of course he was traded to the Padres and then to see him come up was, was, was huge. And also like my town is very known for baseball too. Stoneman Douglas is a, is like a proud baseball program. I mean, there are players who have, you know, sort of cracked the majors or sort of cracked college baseball, but nothing, obviously nothing like, like Anthony Rizzo. So it was only a matter of time really. And, you know, and, and it's just the second part of that, he was the guy who caught the final out to finally snap the Cubs World Series. Drop. That's right. That's, just, That's right. I, I, it's just, you know, it's it, it's hard enough being a Cubs fan to realize that that drought is over and it's now been over for almost four years, which is still blows my mind. But second, like 
you sat in the same classroom as the guy who made the final yeah. album. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, even if, you know, even if you're not a Cubs fan, I'm, I'm assuming you were probably really pumped for him. Uh, oh, absolutely. I mean, the whole day, and it couldn't have happened to like a nicer guy. I mean, I don't know about other, you know, major sports stars, but Anthony is like really a humble, humble guy. And he does, you know, his walk for cancer in Coral Springs every year and the whole community shows up and, you know, his charitable, the things he does for charity and, and for cancer with kids is really remarkable and fair and, and genuine. Honestly, I mean, this like, it could not have happened. The success could not have happened to a nicer person. Absolutely. I mean, he's always at the uh, the children's hospital in Chicago, spending time with the kids. I mean, you can tell that like he wants to be there. He's not there because his contract right obligates him to make a visit periodically. He's there because he wants to be, and you right. can see the the joy. Uh, that that you know he brings to those children which is i mean it's it, you know you're right like he just seems like a genuinely very very nice person yeah and the whole community is just so proud of him i mean we see it all the time like on facebook posts or uh you know our alumni groups and stuff it's always it's always about anthony rizzo in the most positive way it's very cool so, okay is it time no not yet we've got another stop here <laughs> <laughs> So what career advice would, do you have for someone breaking into the TV journalism industry? Yeah, it probably goes back to what I said a little bit earlier on, on internships and just uh, opportunities. Just, just you have to be, the thing about this, this industry that I didn't really realize until I worked in it is the opportunities are very, very limited. I mean, if you think about it, and obviously it's not just local news, there are so many opportunities here, but if you're looking at at reporting in local news, there's only three or four stations in a market. So the jobs are very, are very, very limited. Um, I would, I would say you have to keep your options open, almost, you know, be willing to move anywhere early in your career. And don't worry, you can make it back to your home city or the city that you want to be or the platform that you want to be. But it's just, a lot of times it's just not going to happen, you know, right out of the gate, right out of you graduate. I mean, it's, it's not common really for people out of college to, you know, just get their dream job immediately, right? Just like any other industry. So I would say just, you know, those, establishing those relationships early on and getting those internships and those, those opportunities in your field. I mean, it could be copy editing, it could be production assistant, you know, you could be a, a floor manager. It, it, it really doesn't matter, but I, I, just do it, you know, just pick up whatever you can and do it. And you're going to have to make sacrifices early on. I mean, I don't think I had a Thanksgiving at home, uh, actually, really ever. <laughs> For the last eight years, I've always volunteered to work holidays and work the late night shifts and work the weekends and do things that maybe others aren't willing to do for personal reasons. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I always saw those as an opportunity. So, you know, you really have to just kind of accept these opportunities and try to differentiate yourself from everybody else. Otherwise you're going to have a, a much longer, a longer path. So I would say get all that work in really early in your career and, and keep those relationships. That's the one thing that I, I mentioned earlier that I kind of regret that I did not do. I did not keep in touch with these people who are now, you know, super, uh, they're superstars. A, a lot of them. Um, even the show I interned on, on, on Fox news, the host there went on to do bigger and better things too. And I lost contact with them as well. 
so just keep those relationships and just keep it authentic too. You know, I think people can always, I, I know I'm, I can always sniff out people who are just reaching out to you because they want career advancement, right? Like, no, actually establish relationships, be friends with your mentors or whoever else that you're interacting with on a daily basis. Because remember, they're trying to advance their careers too. And you never know where they're going to end up and who they're going to think of first when they are in a position of power or influence. And you want to be on that short list when they're thinking about people in the future. Some very strong advice. So before we get into Kate's uh, signature segment, I just want to step one step back here real quick and just talk real quick. I mean, obviously we talked about your you know, being in DC and going to the white house, but you know, you just joined that this year. One, how did that come up? And two, how did the pandemic, I mean that you, you came in, I believe at the beginning of this year, yeah. the pandemic a couple months later, how has that impacted your, your adjustment in DC? Um, personally, it's been difficult because I just, I had just moved here. I don't know anything really about the district um, and everything got shut down immediately. And that's something obviously everybody had to deal with. It added a, another wrinkle in the fact that, again, I don't know the area. So I didn't get to experience, I, ha I still haven't really gotten to experience DC on a personal level. On a professional level, everybody had to make an adjustment, right? Like now, you know, we weren't allowed to go into the bureau because of coronavirus, just like everywhere else. And I had to start working from home a lot. And I was fortunate that I come from a production background. I mean, my first jobs really in TV were production assistant editing, and uh, I know my way around the gear. And that's another thing I would say too, for anybody looking to get into this industry, you want to know everything about everything, right? You don't want to just be uh, reporting or writing or you want to do it all. Um, and you want to be able to know how to do it all. And so I was in an advantageous position in that when they told us, hey, listen, you're going to have to work from home, I immediately knew all the tools and things that I needed to do to get that done. And I actually do actually own some of my own equipment as well, but I know my way around the equipment and the reporting stayed the same, right? The writing and the reporting is all the same. The challenge was how do you present it now with still a network quality from home and uh that was certainly a, an adjustment for everyone myself included i mean but i would say i think i had a jump start in that i already knew what i needed in terms of the equipment and the way to you know broadcast these stories and some of the behind the scenes that people don't always see i mean it, it's it, it's clear that i mean i obviously paying attention to your, your Instagram page. We've, we've seen for the last couple of months, seeing you set up and, and have your set essentially from your, your home. Uh, but you know, you, I, I see the back behind the scenes that you can clearly tell you have a, a essentially a corner rigged up at home. Yeah. You take it and watch it on, on TV. And it's like, I have no idea you're at home. I mean, that's, it's very clear that, at, you know, you've, you've, you've set this up, you've made it look good like like it was a studio yeah and that was not easy and it's not easy and it has all these different challenges especially when you're doing it by yourself because uh you know coronavirus is not going to be a producer or somebody that's going to be able to come to my house and, and help me uh and that also goes back to like when i worked at news 12 i was what they call an mmj meaning not only was i the reporter i was the cameraman too and setting up all my stuff so you do that for a couple of years and it's like riding a bike and it's like, okay, now I got to do it again. But at the network level, 
but still I, I knew what I knew exactly what I needed to do. Whereas maybe others needed a little more training or there was a, a learning curve there. I feel like I was able to, to hit the ground running. And I think that is more attributed to just the past experiences of taking these jobs and these, I, well, I saw them as opportunities, but taking these behind the scenes jobs early in my career that I, I didn't want to do, like I didn't want to be an editor. I didn't want to be a producer, but I did those things to get to where I am. And now it actually helped in what I'm actually doing. That's, uh, that's again, very good advice. So Kate, you've been waiting patiently. I'm, we're going to turn it over to you for your five fun, fast facts. And as usual, I do not know the question. I'm going to be as, right, I'm looking forward to it. Let's go. All right. Let's, let's hear this, Kate. What do you got for today? Who is your hero? Who is my hero? Uh, sports or other? just in general. Yeah. I probably got to go Brett Favre, right? I'm a huge Packers fan and, I had everything Brett Favre growing up. Uh, actually, up until I was like 13, my whole room was painted green and yellow. And that really started my love for sports, which I'm still very passionate about. So, yeah, I think also if you ask my mom, she wouldn't skip a beat and would say Brett Favre. <laughs> okay. What, is, what 90s song is your jam to, like, get pumped up? Yeah. Oh, man, there's a couple. There's a couple good ones. Uh, I'll probably just go with the one I heard most recently. Uh, <laughs> I'm blue by uh, Eiffel. Uh, <laughs> is it Eiffel ninety five? I think it's sixty five, isn't it? Sixty five. Yeah. So. I mean, it's still it's still a banger, right? Like, if that's if that song comes on, I'm stopping everything I'm doing. And... <laughs> okay, we all know about spirit animals, but what's your spirit dinosaur? What? My school dinosaur. Uh, oh. Man, probably a, a velociraptor. I mean, those things are fast. They're vicious, right? And everybody wants to say the T-Rex, but, you know, I, I, I'm a huge Jurassic Park fan, and it's always the velociraptors that get everybody, you know, those are the most intense scenes. So I'll go, I'll go, with, I'll go with velociraptor. What are your feelings about garden gnomes? Garden gnomes, they terrify me. What, what, what are they? Why? Why are they? I know. And then finally, who or where would you haunt if you were a ghost? Who or where would I haunt? Um, I would probably, I wouldn't, I don't think I would haunt. I think I would just like mess with my friends, you know, in very, in very subtle ways that would make me happy. I wouldn't scare them. I would just, I would just would like to confuse them. I think I'd be a cool ghost, like like Casper. You know, okay. you could be a friendly ghost. Like, what's wrong with that? Well, those are my five questions, and it looks like DJ's never gonna let me not run them by him ever again. Well, you never run them by me. I mean, the the only time you read, I've I've seen them beforehand where you accidentally wrote them on our 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 script, but it's like. Were you drinking before the show today? No. <laughs> Just came to mind, you know. Oh, man. Well, I don't know where to go from there. Um, <laughs> I guess this is a good time of any to, to wrap this up. Uh, and Andrew, thank you again for, for taking time to chat with us today. Of course. Um, do you have any, uh, you know, plug your social media? Where can we find you other than on TV? Uh, I guess Instagram. Uh, Dimstagram is uh, my Instagram handle. Uh, my last name, so D-Y-M underscore Instagram. 
And uh, yeah, I guess that's pretty much it. I got a Twitter too, Dimbert News, if anyone's interested, or just, you know, tune into your local ABC affiliate from time to time. And that's, uh, yeah, I mean, I'd probably see you on TV at least, you know, every other week, at least right. once. Well, good to know uh, yeah. that the, the, the ABC was Phoenix, right? It's, yeah, uh, yeah. the Phoenix the affiliate seems to, to use your work quite a bit, actually. Yeah, I don't always know because every station's a little bit different. Sometimes uh, they'll take our stuff and they'll repurpose it with their own local staff. But it's, it's always cool to hear, like, which city, you know, it pops up on. It, it seems like when they go to the a, a, a correspondent from somewhere else, whether it's D.C. or another city, they, they just kind of – hand it off and yeah. let that person take charge and do the segment so that you know the, the people here in phoenix just you know they report on phoenix and if it's outside of it for the most part uh, unless there's some phoenix tie to it they they let the outsider or the you know the other correspondent handle it yeah okay oh man so again andrew dimbert abc news uh check him out again on uh, good morning america the abc world news tonight thanks again for coming on yeah, thanks for having me. Love your love your page. Love your guys' work. And uh, I'm a fan from afar. I will keep following. Appreciate it. So, uh, you know, next time you you know you end up in Phoenix for whatever reason, lunch is on me. Oh, absolutely. I'm sure Kate would have the same rule as next time you or when you finally come to Chicago. She can. Chicago. Well, she, when she I can take then. you to Giordano's or Gino's East or whatever. Not a. I lived in Chicago for almost a decade. I'm just not not Chicago pizza. I love. Love New York, which is kind of ironic, but is is what it is. So, <laughs> so for everyone else, thanks for watching today. Uh, check us out at stadiumscene.tv. Join our network. Uh, give us a follow at Stadium Scene on Facebook, Twitter, and Pinterest, and Stadium underscore Scene on Instagram. And we'll see you next week. <laughs>